Thank you, Jesus. Only you can steal. Lord, my soul thirsts this morning to know the maker of heaven and earth. My soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, Holy Spirit. My soul thirsts for you, O God. My soul tests to know you just the way others know me. My soul tests for you. Lord, I want to say a big thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for life in me. Thank you for the gift of your mercies. Thank you for the gift of your love. As we wake up to a brand new day, we take nothing for granted. As we see the sun rise this morning, we take nothing for granted. We say thank you. Thank you because you are a faithful God and you will never fail. We give you all the praise. Lord, we have come again. We are here in your presence. We ask, Lord, this morning that you will speak to us again. We ask, Lord, that you will help us learn in your presence. Lord, bless someone. Uh, Give someone an encounter with you today. Let your name alone be glorified. We magnify you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone listening in. I am Morphe Eyenike sharing devotion with you. We are back in the book of Judges. Today we'll take two more chapters. The book of Judges chapter 3 and 4. Chapter 3 has the story of Israel's uh, three first judges. Othniel, um, Ehud and Shamgar. And then chapter 4 has the story of the fourth judge in Israel and practically I think the only woman, Deborah. Okay, so we will see the lessons we can draw, we can draw from their lives. I want you to also pay attention. You will see a word, a particular line or phrase that keeps coming up as we go from one judge to another. Tells us about how the nation of Israel was living before God. All right, so let's get down and be blessed this morning. Judges chapter 3 says, These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. So I did say yesterday, Judges chapter 2, God intentionally left some of the enemies in the land you know to prove the people of israel you know so sometimes uh, this can be a bit confusing is it that god is not alpha and omega and so he should already know that the people would fail so while why test them you know um with giving them an enemy that he knows they will already fail fail with uh no this is how god works man must eventually you know go through these situations themselves okay uh, this is called a walk of faith eventually some will fail some will 
then find out their own relationship their own encounter with god okay so yes god left some enemies in the land to prove the children of israel to help them you know be able to turn back to god whenever they turned away from him verse 2 says he did this to teach warfare to generations of israelites who had not experienced who had no experience in battle and that really wasn't necessarily a bad thing verse 3 says that uh, these are the nations the philistines so you will notice that <laughs> uh, all through the dispensation of all the judges in fact when um samuel will come up on the scene and then saw the king you know uh, the philistines will be a huge bone in the neck of the israelites i think it was only yes eventually in the days of uh david that they uh they were they became subdued to an extent and even at that eventually these philistines were always able to regain themselves so yes uh, the philistines uh those living under the five philistines ruler i did mention yes and when we read the encounter with caleb that he conquered you know three i think it was ekron ashkelon and i think gaza that he conquered so there were two two other philistine lords that were not conquered uh, but you know eventually uh, the philistines will always rise up it says that all the canaanites the sidonians and the Evites living in the mountains of Lebanon from Mount Baal Ammon to Lebo Amat. Uh, these people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands, the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, Etites, Amorites, Perizzites, Evites, and Jebusites verse 6 and they intermarried with them so this is where the tragedy you know becomes even worse remember god's instruction to the israelites uh, maybe for every other person it might be fine but for you that my, are my own special people you are not to intermarry with the people of the land if you do they will turn your heart away from me and they will cause you to go and serve idols and this eventually will be what will happen to the children of Israel. It started with intermarrying and they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters and Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons and the Israelites served their gods. Hmm. Verse 7 says, uh, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So yes, we will see Othniel will come up as a judge in Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord, their God, and they served the image of Baal and the Ashrapos. Hmm. Ah, so you will see this particular idol, this particular God, again and again, practically all through the Old Testament, Baal. Uh, you will see him and the and the ashrapos you will see this idol again and again and then the line i said you should pay attention to the israelite did evil in the sight of god uh, so sometimes it will be expressed as they forgetting forgetting the lord or they of this of them serving 
idols you know um verse 8 says then the lord burned with anger against israel and he turned them over to king kushan rashathem of aram naharim and the israelites served kusha kushan rashathem for eight years but when the people of israel cried out to the lord for help the lord raised up a rescuer to save them his name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. Okay, so that means from the tribe of Levi, where you had Moses. Then the next uh, leader came from the tribe of Ephraim, Joseph. And now mm-hmm, it has the leader has moved back to Judah. Mm. And I'm telling you, pay attention to those prayers you know that jacob prayed for his sons uh, because it was practically showing up in in their generations generations well ahead of them yes oatmeal i'm sure you remember oatmeal when he showed up on the on the scene he was the one who captured that city and then uh, caleb gave gave Give him his daughter. Okay, it says the son of Caleb's younger brother Kenas. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rashathaim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for forty years. Then Othniel, son of Kenas, died, and that I'm telling you was quite a long time for there to be peace in the land so this guy obviously was around during the time of joshua okay so he saw everything he might have been able to communicate you know take the the people to you know to return back to god you know pay attention to the word of god the instructions in the word of god again but surely as night and day come Uh, the children of Israel will turn against God again. And so from verse 12, we see uh, the next judge, Ehud, you know, show up on the scene. Verse 12 says, Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Hmm. God gave this particular king control over israel because of israel's evil not because that king was necessarily powerful and you need to pay attention to that eglon enlisted the ammonites and amalekites as allies and then he went out and defeated israel taking possession of jericho the city of palms and this would have been a big, a big shame. I'm sure Joshua would literally be rolling in his grave at <laughs> the same city that they captured when they came into the promised land. Now Eglon had captured, had taken back from the children of Israel. Verse 14 says, And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years, 18 good years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Herod, son of Gera, 
a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, the Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So, uh, something just jumps out at, at, at me as we were reading this verse. You know, uh, the people will cry out to the Lord for help, and the Lord will raise up and help her. Uh, do you only seek God when there is problem or when there are problems in your life? Do you only seek God when things are not working? If you do, you are doing exactly what the children of Israel are doing here. Because um, they, won't serve, they won't seek the Lord when things, times are good. They won't seek the Lord when th- things are even normal. But when things are bad, uh, then they will turn to God. So when things are good, it is the product of their idols. It is their idols that were blessing them. Until when God will then turn his back on them. And then things become, you know, go, go awry. And then they remember God. My prayer is that that will not be you in the mighty name of Jesus. So we shouldn't seek the Lord, okay, uh, only when things are going rough. In fact, whether things are good, whether things are normal, whether things are going rough for us, every time, okay, uh, should be a time to be with the Lord. Uh, yes, this is what it means to walk with God. So Ehud comes up on the scene and he is taking the tribute you know, to Eglon, the king. Verse 16 says, So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about about a foot, a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, uh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home uh, with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. <laughs> so the king commanded, commanded his servant, be quiet, and he sent them all out of the room. So this is quite um, funny. So it's either... Ehud was, um, first of all, maybe didn't get an opportunity to be able to attack the king, okay? Um, because he already left with the people, you know, uh, but on the way, he then turned back. Actually, he says that when he reached the stone idols near Gilgal, so uh, my thinking is that as he sees those idols in the land, uh, most likely he was provoked, you know, and to turn back so that there will be deliverance for Israel and the children of Israel will turn to God again. Okay, uh, so, but whatever whatever the case, Herod comes back and the king chooses to see or to meet with him. And I'm telling you, that could only have been God. They delivered their tributes already. So what was the king expecting expecting to receive from him? But the king sends everybody out, you know, of the room. Verse 26, Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's farts. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud 
closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Eud was gone, the king's servant returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out, after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. Verse 26 says, While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. When he arrived in the ill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings, crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Hmm. So again, quite a long time. So between the time of the judges and then before Samuel comes up on the scene, you are talking about hundreds of years, actually. Hundreds of years. Verse 31, just one one verse gives us the account of the third of the third, you know, um the third judge in Israel. He says after Ehud Shamgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an axe gold. He once killed 600 Philistines with an axe gold. So this guy must have been so powerful. Uh, but during his time, uh, his, his own encounter, like Samson, was going to be with, with the Philistines. Let's go on to chapter 4. So here we will read the account of Deborah. After Herod's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So this is the third time we are seeing this line. They did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Azor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Caesarea, who lived in Arosheth Agoim. Caesarea, who had 900 iron chariot ruthlessly oppressed the Israelite for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So when the children of Israel are oppressed, they will cry out to the Lord for help. Uh, you don't have to be oppressed before you cry out to the Lord. Uh, whether it is time for singing, cry out to the Lord. Whether it is time for rejoicing, cry out to the Lord. Whether it is just a time to study in His presence, cry out to the Lord. Let the Lord hear your voice. You know, in good times, uh, in pleasant times, then when you call Him in the times of your, of your struggles, I'm telling you, the Lord will arise quickly and come to you. Deborah's, De, De, verse 4 says, Deborah, the wife of Lapidot. The wife of Lapidot was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. And you need to realize how unusual this 
this is right to an extent you know the israelites you know culture is quite patriarchal okay quite patriarchal so it is almost almost impossible that someone will be introduced you know and uh, the wife's name will be mentioned before the husband <laughs> it says deborah the wife of lapidot okay so he introduces the woman first and then a husband uh, but i tell you this woman must have been uh, a great person a great prophet at that he says she was a prophet you know a prophet judging israel at that time she would sit under the the, the palm the palm of deborah between ramah and bethel in the ill country of ephraim and the israelite will go to her for judgment they will go to a woman for judgment i'm telling you very unusual in israel men will bring themselves to go and seek for judgment before a woman in other words two men will be fighting we will then go to a woman very unusual at least in the israel of this time he said it goes on verse 6 says one day she sent for barak son of abinoam who live in kadesh in the land of naphtali she said to him this is what the lord the god of israel commands you call out ten thousand warriors from the tribes of naphtali and zebulon at mount tabor and I will call out as Caesarea, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Okay, so in my mind, she was basically prophesying on the behalf on the behalf of God, and this would have been so so outstanding. But Barak, like you would obviously realize as we read on, was obviously a great warrior, okay, a powerful soldier. But even he was, you know, was willing to submit himself to this woman. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. <laughs> I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord, for the Lord's victory over Caesarea will be at the hands of a woman. <laughs> so I'm sure when when she said that, Barak would have been thinking that oh, most likely Deborah is going to be the one that God, because she already said it will be at the hand of a woman. It will be she will be the one, and I'm sure he would not have minded anyway. She is a great prophet. She so Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulon and Naphtali, and ten thousand warriors went up with him. Deborah also went went with him. Now Eber the Kenites, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Oba, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zanan, Zananim near Kadesh. When Caesarea was, and, and I, let me just emphasize on that, on that story because that's that's a very important point to note. Okay, because uh, this person was actually very crucial in them, you know, getting getting the victory. Okay, getting the victory. Okay, over over Israel's enemy at at this time. So I don't just want to jump over the person's name. It is now Eber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Obab, 
had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananim uh, near Kedesh. When Caesarea was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Arushet Agoim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, "Get ready. Uh, this is the day the Lord will. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Caesarea, for the Lord is marching ahead of you." So Barak led his ten thousand warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak uh, attacked, the Lord threw Caesarea and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Caesarea leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. <laughs> <laughs> and this would have been very, very, it's like fighting with people and then they, they jumped down from their armor tanks, you know, and started running on foot. Again, it could only have been God fighting on their side. He said they panicked. God threw their warriors, you know, into a panic and they leaped from their chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Arushet Agoim. So yes, chased them all the way back home and completely, of course, won a great victory, killing all of Caesarea's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Caesarea ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Eba the Kenites. Because Eba's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Azor, Jahel went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Please uh, give me some water, he said. I am thirsty. So she gave him some milk uh, from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, say no. But when Caesarea fell asleep with exhaustion, Jael quietly uh, crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Caesarea, Jael went out to meet him. She said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Caesarea lying there, dead with the tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanites king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally defeated him. Wow. So quite an interesting read. Today, um, a bit quite a lot to learn from each of the stories. Uh, you might want to listen to this again and draw some lessons um, from the stories. The, co- the, the courage of Jael, for example, the strategy of, 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 ba- of Barak you know, in defeating Caesarea, for example, Othniel rising up on the scene at a time when all the leaders all the elders you know could not lead the nation he just showed up on the scene the first judge in israel but maybe the biggest lesson i want us to take away from today is uh that line i said keeps coming up uh the children of israel 
did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's what I want us to pray about today. Uh, Will you consider your life an evil in the sight of God? (laughs) Um, Yes, it's a point I think we should think about before we pray this morning. Is your life evil in the sight of God? Remember, when things are good, uh, these people will not remember God. In fact, during that time, they will be serving their idols until God turns his back on them and then things go, go awry. And at that time, they begin to cry out to God. Uh, but usually it is because, yes, their lives were evil in the sight of God. I want to just pray this morning and meditate on this word. Lord, I want my life to be a pleasant sacrifice before you. Lord, I don't want to be evil before you. I don't want you to look at me and see evil. I don't want you to look at me and turn away from me. Father, I am praying this morning. I want someone to pray for themselves that, Lord, that my life will be pleasing to you, that I will worship and follow you all the days of my life, not just in the good times, not just in the pleasant times, not even just when things are awry and difficult. Lord, every single day of my life, I will follow you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for your people this morning. Lord, help them to stay faithful to you in the name of Jesus. Help them to stand strong in you through every situation in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, cause their love for you to be deeper and deeper in the mighty name of Jesus. In the face of whatever they are, Lord, let them keep you strong in their hearts. Father, we give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. Enjoy your day.